0: For everything for everything indie. For everything cults. It's the Blue Horseshoe now. now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into this bi-week edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. As always, Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. Georgie, especially since the buy is so late in the year, after Week 13, we've seen the Colts play 13 games. We have a large sample size of who they are. Unfortunately, more as we know, bad than good. So, figured it, since there's no game to preview, this would be a good opportunity to kind of take a step back and just evaluate the entire season for the Colts so far. What's gone wrong? We do have some awards as well. The biggest, uh, the biggest disappointment so far this season, the MVP, if you will. I know it's tough on a four one team picking MVP, but. We will try our best to at least find that as well and also discuss what the Titans' breaking news happened on Tuesday they announced the firing of their GM, John Robinson, how that impacts the Titans and especially how that impacts the Colts in the division going forward, and what the Titans are trying to accomplish here after being now going or should win their third straight AFC South title. So a lot here on this bye week edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod, George. So first of all, let's just say 4-8-1. Not exactly. Uh, let's say what we thought we'd be talking about at the bye episode of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. We were recording this back in August.
1: No, absolutely not. Even if honestly, even if the record was reversed, it would be good. But but maybe even a little bit lower than you know. I was thinking this was going to be a team that was contending for one of the top two, three seeds in, in the AFC. So eight, four, and one would probably be more in the in the neighborhood. But even then, I might be a little bit disappointed with that tie to the Texans. I mean. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. We, you know, we talked about it on the, on the post game pod. Um, how did they get here? You know, how are so many people so wrong about this football team? Um, it's, it's a mess. Um, and and I think the worst part about this late buy is it feels like you've already played the season. I know there's four games left, but it honestly feels like the season is done right now. So it's just. I hate these late buys. I guess that's what I'm coming back to right here. I, I hate these. It's second year in a row, and these late buys are just... But, you know, I think I saw a stat. I It's not going to happen this year because the four teams on the buy this week are not playoff contenders, but uh, these late buys have been really good for teams to win the Super Bowl. So, you know, maybe maybe there is some benefit to it, but uh, not for this franchise, not this year.
0: Yeah, to say that uh, that streak or or that uh, percentage is going to take a big hit in terms of late buys and teams won the Super Bowl. Because yeah, at least <laughs> we know the Colts are nowhere near that. That is for sure. But it's like it's so frustrating, George. Because you're right. Like we were talking about a team where in August we we're giving up preseason expectations. You said anything short of a playoff win would be a disappointment. I said just getting to the playoffs and winning the AFC South. Anything short of not winning the division would be a disappointment. So here we are, both of us, severely wrong at 4-8-1. It's like, how do we get here? I think a large part of it is just flat-out turnovers. You're giving the other team opportunities. And I thought Mike Chapel really, after a five-turnover performance, one of their best, if you want to call it that, against the Cowboys, that really kind of hammered home their issues. He put a, a few stats and numbers and rankings to kind of really just kind of put it into perspective so far the first 13 games for the Colts and how bad they have been in turning the ball over. They have 26 turnovers, not a surprise, most in the NFL. They have 30 total fumbles, most in the NFL, Clearing 12 lost, also most in the NFL. I don't know what's more surprising, George, the fact that they fumbled 30 times or that they recovered 18 of them. Like, that's insane, they've, honestly.
1: They've got to be in contention for a record for recovered fumbles in a season. I mean, they're, if it's not there already, they've got to be getting very close.
0: It is truly unbelievable. And the biggest thing for this team, you can argue that the most damning stat that's really hurt this team. It's not the turnovers just in and of itself. It's not the 30 fumbles or the 14 interceptions or Matt Ryan's 17 turnovers by himself. If you look at 18, excuse me, 18 turnovers. Thank you, George. I don't want to short him. (laughs) I was trying to throw Matt Ryan one of the few bones he's gotten this year and maybe, you know, shave off one fumble or two. But thank you, George. You're right. 18 turnovers, which is still just through 13 games, unbelievable. But you look at the team overall 2016 turnovers that has led to 93 points the dallas game alone those five turnovers led to 29 points so when you look at a game when you lose by 35 to the cowboys well that's almost the the equivalent of of the turnovers that they gave or the points to scored off turnovers when you give away 93 points on the season to 29 turnovers no team i don't care how good you are is going to be having a, a winning record, especially for a team that again, when you're the Colts, you need everything to kind of go way to have success on an offense. And then you, you see right there turnovers and the point of turnovers. You could point to right there as two of the biggest reasons why this team right now is four eight, and one.
1: Well, we were talking about a minute ago. You know, if you flip this record, they're winning the AFC South. You know, if they're eight, four, and one, they'd be in first place right now, just ahead of the Titans. 93 points that are given up on turnovers that you've handed the other team. And four of these losses are by one score or less. So you think you take away some of those 93 points, you take away some of these turnovers, this could be a first-place team in the AFC South. That's how big an impact these turnovers have had. And to put it in perspective, 26 total turnovers, if you cut that number in half, if they had 13 total turnovers right now, it would be an unacceptable bad number. So double it to the number they're actually at, that... I, I don't think it's overstating it to say that if you were able to protect the football, you could conceivably be leading the AFC South right now and controlling your own destiny over the final month of the season.
0: And you look at their point differential this season, they're at minus 89 at four and one. So again, you look mm-hmm. at the 90, what night, what is it? 93, 96 points, 93 yeah. points. Plus four. You've given up. Right. Like that's, like that's right then and there. Your biggest, you know, reason why you're four in one it's just—it's also maddening because, like, I don't think we misread this roster. Like again, when, especially when you talked about it, kind of right after the loss to uh, to Dallas on Sunday. If you missed missed the post game pod, we did talk a lot about just general Colts topics, not a lot of the pre uh, post game reaction because, again, at this point, there's not a lot of reason to react. So if you again, that is, trust me, it's not outdated. Go back and listen to the Blue Horseshoe pod that we recorded uh, after the Cowboys game on Sunday night, but it's kind of continue that conversation, George, it's like. One of the reasons why, like, or the reason why I don't think we really misjudge this team in terms of talent wise, we're we're predicting them to win the division and, you know, at least make, you know, maybe win a playoff game is just because when you, again, when you turn the ball over at an alarming rate, you don't, number one, expect that to happen from a team that was, I think, what, number one or or number two in terms of turnover differential last year. The defense did a great job at forcing turnovers. And the Colts, for the most part, with Carson Wentz, did did a pretty solid job at not turning the ball over. You don't expect a, a record number of turnovers, but you quickly see that's for all the problems on the offensive line, all the problems Matt Ryan in and of himself, sometimes the defense, sometimes the receivers. The, you could circle right there. Turnovers right now are by far the biggest problem as to why this team had playoff ac- aspirations and expectations. And now you're sitting here, like I said, we're, we're rooting for a, a top five pick uh, at the bye week.
1: You know, and honestly, it's one of the, the one time that we did get to talk with uh Chris Ballard, you know, during that, that, Bizarre press conference when Jeff Saturday was announced, he he brought up the turnovers. You know, I think that the team's aware of it, that this is the number one factor. Uh, I would throw sacks right there as sort of 1B turnovers are 1A and and the sacks are 1B and some of those go hand in hand because some of the sacks have led to some of the turnovers. Um, but you know, all in all, protect the football. It's as simple as that. One thing that we did discuss on the post game pod that that I've kind of changed my mind on since since the post game pod. Hmm. Kind of want to mention it in there. You know, I said then that I didn't think there was any use in in starting Nick Foles the rest of the year because uh, I just didn't see any utility for it. I kind of gone back on that a little bit from this angle. If he starts these final four games, you know, he's under contract for next year as well maybe he's a guy who can stick around and mentor you know a rookie and maybe he's your backup in, in your insurance plan uh, if you see enough of him in these final four games so I just I've kind of gone back in the sense that I, I don't think it's completely without merit now for him to play the final four games or two of them or, or however that works out
0: well I actually forgot he's in a two-year deal so you're like you' talking about quarterback convert you know converse. First conversations and decisions like obviously we'll be talking a lot about the draft and if the Colts select on who they should select. But you also have two quarterbacks that are aging and Matt Ryan and Nick Foles that one of them you think probably will be here and one they'll be traded or cut, which is going to be an interesting discussion and decision. I will say this then in terms of that, I would prefer Matt Ryan for to be here for the Colts next season compared to Nick Foles. I know Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. I just think Matt Ryan be able to instill more wisdom to whatever quarterback they do end up drafting, kind of help their progression along. I would just kind of view Matt Ryan, just because of his experience and what he's accomplished in this league, as a maybe a better mentor and someone who can kind of help uh, help a rookie kind of jump over that rookie wall or get through it a little bit faster compared to maybe you know Nick Foles in terms of keeping him around.
1: Yeah, you know, and and I agree. I just think when I said on Sunday that there's no purpose, Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's the case anymore. I think there is, you can find something out by playing Nick Foles these last four games. Is it worth it? I don't know. You know, do you want to cut him and our, our producer, Aaron, pointing out two really important numbers here? Matt Ryan's dead cap 18 million dollars for next season versus Nick Foles 1.5 million dollars one of those obviously a lot easier to swallow than the other uh, but neither one of them we've seen teams take a lot worse dead cap hits than that both uh, Seattle's got a pretty big one this year you know with with Russell Wilson on the trade and it's not really affected them they've got good play from Geno Smith they're in the playoff hunt I don't think they're upset you know and they're go- that money's going to come off next year and they're going to be able to use it to to improve a team that was in the mix, you know, this year, the the whole way. So I don't know that either one of those are prohibitive numbers, but when you look at those two numbers, it's pretty easy to pick which one you'd you'd rather deal with.
0: That is very true. But I guess the good news on the other side is, you know, a rookie quarterback is a cheap deal. So, you know, that could Mm -hmm. help as well. But it's going to be interesting to see, like, if they'll even be able to offload Matt Ryan um, or whether, you know, maybe if you're able to trade him, that kind of helps alleviate some of that number. It's going to be, the Matt Ryan discussion is going to be fascinating this offseason for sure because I don't really know of a market that's out there. Now, also with that said, I really didn't think there'd be a big market for Carson Wentz and somehow they're able to convince the commanders to uh, to give up two picks for him. So, hey, teams are desperate. That is for sure. Um, but it will be very interesting when it comes to, like I said, Matt Ryan's future. Um, but also, too, I think a big reason why we're sitting here, Georgia, four and one has been the the regression big time from the offensive line. Like, I don't know if there's one unit you could point to more outside of quarterback, more responsible for this team being four games under 500 than right now the, the the unit that is the highest paid offense line in the NFL.
1: And the one thing that I felt the most confident in this year coming in was that they would run the ball well, right? I mean, I think everybody kind of felt like – I thought you'd have a drop-off because Jonathan Taylor wasn't going to have back-to-back 1,800-yard rushing seasons, but I thought he'd be in that 14, 1,500-yard range. This would be one of the top rushing attacks in the NFL if nothing else – they would run the football, and it would help Matt Ryan out that way. Uh, talking about you know the offensive line struggles, there I think it's most apparent there. The sacks are obviously a big deal. Not all of those are on them. We were talking about that post game. Sometimes it's the running backs, sometimes it's a tight end, sometimes it's the quarterback. Uh, it's not all on them on the running game either. But when you're when you have as bad of numbers as they do protecting the quarterback, and then on top of that you're running the football as poorly as they are then the offensive line obviously is a big part of the, the overall picture there. Uh, and in coming in, what you expect them to do and what they've done has been such a, a big difference. I, I think one of the underrated things from this year, you know, we, we talked about losing Mark Glowinski and losing Chris Reed, not re-signing them uh, at right guard. That's obviously been a huge portion of this. I think Eric Fisher early in the season at least was was better as a run blocker than than the left tackles have been this year. Uh, but also, you know, Jack Doyle's names come up in that mix as somebody who was a big part of the run game. And Zach Pascal, you know, that's a that's a guy, I think, in the receivers uh, who would get out there and dig out these linebackers. And, you know, that's how you turn uh, and a five yard gain into a 15 or 20 yard gain. And that's what they've really been missing this year. Uh, you know, now that you've seen Jonathan Taylor be healthy, he's consistently getting around the 80 yard mark. I think he's had four straight weeks now where he's at at least 80 yards. Uh, Which is the best stretch of the season so far, and I think you know that as much as anything is what this run game is missing. Taylor, even last year, was a guy that that you know volume was what you were looking for with him. You know, three yard runs, four yard runs, five yard runs, and then he break off a fifteen or twenty yard run, and then he break off a sixty yard run, and it kept defenses honest. You know, they they're just missing too many pieces. I think of that run game, but again, when you look at the totality the offensive line has a hand in all of this.
0: You no, know, you're hundred percent right. Like you said, I'm glad you pointed out, you made a, a great observation with the ancillary pieces with the run game. Cause it's not just right. The, the loss of, you know, Eric Fisher. It's not just the, the fact that there's a whole left tackle or right guard. It's the fact that you're right. Zach Pascoe, their best run blocker is gone. Jack Doe, the best, you know, blocker when it comes to a tight end one overall, maybe their best blocker period, maybe outside of Quentin Nelson going in this year gone. And then, you know, to get on Chris Bowen, he didn't do anything to to improve it. It's not like he moved on and got a bigger, better version of Zach Paschal or moved on and brought in the tight end that's like a George Kittle s kind of guy that is able to do you know block and catch at a high level. He just kind of rolled with the guys that they had. Did not make many you know uh, free agent or or trade um, trade moves, and then that's kind of where you're sitting, where the Colts got worse on the on the margins. Didn't get any better. And again, we're talking about a team that, again, is not very – doesn't have a lot of elite talent at the, to begin with, let alone at the quarterback position when you don't have that eraser that kind of allows you to kind of make up for some deficiencies elsewhere. Those marginal moves that, again, for a team like maybe the Chiefs or the Bills is not that big of a deal they can overcome. This Colts team is not good enough to overcome it. And again, that's just another reason, another uh, area through 13 games. You look at like how, how do we get here? How do we misjudge this team so much? It's not just one area per se. The turnovers are a big reason for it. But like you mentioned, it's the fact that they got worse in the run game in terms of who was out there blocking, and they weren't really able to get a a fix and improve it whatsoever, especially on the outside and with the tight ends.
1: Yeah, I think a really good point in there, too, that, that you mentioned is that Chris Ballard didn't really do a good job of replacing these guys, particularly the tight end. Because, you know, you drafted a couple of rookies, but to go in there and ask them to do what Jack Doyle did was a really big ask. And I don't think that would have been a really big spending, you know, a, a really big money acquisition. You could have gone out and gotten somebody who has a history of, of blocking at that position, a veteran, and, 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 you know, shored yourself up a little bit. Might not have been Jack Doyle, but the drop-off might not have been as big. Uh, and I think the other part of this is Ashton Doolin getting hurt. You know, he's one of the better blocking wide receivers too. I think they felt like he was going to take some of that Zach Pascal role uh, and he missed a good chunk of the season, and I don't think it's a coincidence. He's been back for some of this upturn that we've seen right now for the uh, for the running game to get a little bit better than it's been. Um, it's never one thing, right? I think that's the, the lesson that that, if nothing else, this year has taught us. It's never about one guy or one position. It's you know a totality here, and I think in this case, the general manager Chris Ballard deserves some of the blame as well.
0: So let's wrap up this post-mortem of the Colts season, even though it's still going on here with this, because I think you're right. It's not just one person, but let's just have a little fun, because you know, people. I'll say this for myself. I do like to kind of you know point the finger here and there. So let's point the finger a little bit. Who do you think George has more to more responsibility for this four eight and one season? Would you say Matt Ryan? Or would you say Chris Ballard?
1: Oh man, that's a really good question. It's it's
0: not it's not I, easy.
1: I'm gonna go with Matt Ryan for the simple fact that I think if he protected the ball, the numbers that we were just talking about—those 93 points off turnovers, the the 26 total turnovers—if you cut those down, this team's still in playoff contention. If they're at a more manageable level, a normal level, if he's turned the ball over say six or seven times instead of 18 times, they're in they're in playoff contention. So. I'm going to go with Matt Ryan for that purpose. You know, if we look at the turnovers and we say that's the number one area this team needs to improve, he's the number one part of that. Uh, So I'll, I'll go with him.
0: I'm going to go with Chris Ballard because in part we just kind of outlined, you know, the, 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 they missed a, they lost a few key pieces and he do, really did nothing to kind of improve it. But also, too, like this offense, like the frustrating part for me is he has been someone who preached building in the trenches and kind of winning their first building team from inside out. And again, I actually agree. With, like, I think that's the way to do it. I really did not have a problem last few years with how the Colts have approached for the most part. The quarterback position, because, again, I don't believe just taking a quarterback, take one, is the answer. So I don't mind what he's done, and I don't mind, especially coming off of, and you saw how why Andrew Luck retired, because he couldn't get protection. I don't mind trying to build that up first and get the guy. But he didn't come through this year in terms of actually fulfilling his promise. Where you look at the left tackle position, he didn't take it seriously whatsoever. We're talking about a guy who was supposed to be the starter, Matt Pryor, that had zero left tackle experience and has played his worst football at the tackle position, and is more suited to be a guard. He's really not even good there anyway. Like his best role is a sixth or seventh lineman coming in for an injury or in a spot start, and that was supposed to be their true answer with a non-mobile 37-year-old quarterback. Is going to be Matt Ryan. You have your other hole at the right guard. They again, they didn't take seriously whatsoever. You let Mark Lewinsky go, and there was no replacement there. There's no better option there. And so I know there's a lot of areas to blame. And Matt Ryan's been awful with the terms. Awful decision-making. He's got to hold on to the football. It's it's like his first instinct is drop the ball anytime anyone's near him. So he doesn't get to pass that whatsoever. But I do feel like, and Frank Reich said this after they benched Matt Ryan after the the Week 7 game, the Colts have not been as advertised. Like What they sold Matt Ryan in the offseason with a good running game, with elite protection, with, with the amount of money they paid their offensive line, they have not backed up or, or you know fulfilled their end of the bargain when it comes to uh, when it comes to giving Matt Ryan everything that was promised and, and kind of learn him out of Atlanta so that's why at least I would go Chris Ballard I think he failed uh, the Colts and Matt Ryan especially that left tackle just hole right there
1: you know and I think it's really you know again we talk about it's not one guy it's never one position it's this is almost chicken or the egg kind of a situation isn't it like Is it Matt Ryan turning the ball over too much on his own accord, you know, the things, the decisions he's making, uh, him not protecting the ball, or is it Chris Ballard not giving him the protection he was promised and that leading to the turnovers? I think it's probably a little bit of both. And so I think, honestly, it's probably both guys deserve a share of this. uh, But no matter how you slice it, no matter which way you want to go on this, it's unacceptable. You can't turn the ball over 26 times and expect to win football games.
0: Absolutely not. And basically the last 25 minutes or so, George, we've been talking, like I said, it's not one thing. we highlighted three or four true deficiencies with this team, three or four real reasons, or a center at Dubai, four in one, playoffs are shot, and we're already kind of looking towards 2023. Again, not exactly the, the, the uh, topics we thought we'd be having when we first kicked off this podcast in August, that is for sure. All right, so when we do return in the Blue Horseshoe Pod, we'll give out some bi-week awards. Not just, you know, well, some negatives, the biggest disappointment for sure, but also let's let's talk about try to find an MVP, maybe try to find the biggest surprise so far. And again, maybe try to put lipstick on a pig that's so far been this cold season. We'll do that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. As always, make sure you download, like, and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast wherever you get your pods, and make sure to tell your Colts friends about us as well. Ryan and George Bremer is always here with you. So, George, we'll give out some awards for a 4-8-1 football team here. Let's we'll start the negative, then we'll, we'll try to finish up with some positives here. Biggest disappointment, this could be a unit, this could be a, an individual player. At 4-1, and one, who would you say is the biggest disappointment for the Colts so far this season?
1: Uh, i mean it's got to go it's got to be the offensive line right like they, they they've got to take this one hands down again all those things we just talked about in the first segment but they've had a hand in all of it the the run deficiencies the the pass protection the turnovers they may not be responsible solely for all of those areas but they've had a hand in all of it
0: i will t- t- i would agree But well by far I definitely, lines, fair. i'll go matt ryan i think i just think mm-hmm. i've even though we just kind of talked about he was not put exactly in the position to succeed before him with Chris Ballard, I do think, again, the, the, the turnovers are inexcusable, his decision-making, and what he was brought in to do, again, not all of it's his fault, but he was brought in here to make the layups, to make the smart throws that Carson Wentz couldn't do, and just kind of keep this offense on track, and that's anything but, again, the 30 fumbles, 26 turnovers, a lot of it, Matt Ryan is 18 of them, which is just unbelievable. Not as advertised without a doubt. And through 13 games, I would say he is the biggest disappointment. How about on the other side, George? How about MVP? I know it's tough to pick out four in one MVP, but who at least is in your mind's
1: been the best cult this year? You know where I'm going with this. I know it. It's 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 only one MP. It's a stand pod now. Grover Stewart has got to be the MVP. Uh he just, you know, I, I love the nickname. That my favorite part of this season, the guard butcher. It's, it's the best nickname around. Uh it's very fitting for what he does. Grover Stewart is the man, he's the MVP.
0: I will stick on the defense side of the ball. Uh, I will go Zaire Franklin because this is a guy who, you know, who's playing a large part because of Shaq Leonard's absence. And he's – look, the, the only thing that's not there uh, at the same rate is obviously forcing turnovers, but he has 131 tackles. He's second in the NFL on tackles. The guy's been all over the field. Outside of like maybe a week one blown assignment against the uh, the Texans that kind of led for, to a touchdown uh, with uh, – I think it was Brevin Jordan who got two, ironically, go figure. Uh, OJ Howard, one of the two, I forget who the tight end was, but anyway, the point is it was uh, outside of that. He's been really good. He's played more than any of the Colts ever envisioned. And I would say so far he's played really well. So it's, I think it's telling George, by the way, the first two, uh, the first two awards, biggest disappointment, both for us on the offensive end, MVP has been on the defensive end that no surprise there whatsoever. How about biggest surprise? You can go either way here, negative or positive here. Who's been the biggest surprise in your mind so far this season?
1: Yeah, I was going to go with your MVP. I think Zaire Franklin's my answer there. Just because he's he's a guy that was a special teamer his whole career. We knew he did that really well. Uh, worked his way into being a captain there. Got a contract extension this year. Uh, has had to play way more than anybody expected. And has shown that he's not just a legit NFL starter. He's in, he should be in the conversation. I don't know if there's any question about that. I'm not saying he will make the pro Bowl, but he should be in that conversation. He's played at that level. Uh, to me, that's a, that's a huge surprise, and hats off to Zaire Franklin.
0: He's been absolutely tremendous. I'm going to take this in a negative light. I'm going to go Quentin Nelson, because this is a guy that you, we could have discussed this season going a million different ways. The one thing I never would have envisioned is him getting paid and then playing the worst year of, of his career. We could talk about the outfit's line, and if you want to talk about the left tackle being a hole, okay. We could see, again, Matt Pryor being your answer there is not exactly it's unexpected that he's been bad. But to have the entire offensive line play as poised to have, especially Quentin Nelson, you've seen times where he's missing blocks. He's getting trucked over. Like, what have we seen Quentin Nelson get bullied by the by defensive line? And you rarely ever see it. And this year we've seen it too much. So I think that's a big reason why, again, the, the Colts right now are four games under five hundred. But he has just been someone that I thought rightfully so got paid. I love the pick at number six when they got him. And, again, up until this year, he's been worth every single, you know, dollar in terms of the investment and the draft capital. But he's absolutely been a huge, huge surprise in terms of how poor he has played for the most part this season. And I'm a rookie, George. Which rookie did he has, has really you get? Is really precious so far this season through 13 games.
1: Yeah, you know it's a tough one because I don't think it's been a whole lot from this rookie class in, in terms of consistency. But I'm going to go with Alec Pierce because they brought him in to 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 kind of be that deep threat, to be that down the field guy, and he's been the only guy this year who's done. It. I think. Stephen Holder had a great sat out there like three times, uh, three gains this year of forty yards or more, and all three of them have been passes to Alec Pierce. So, you know the kid's done what he was brought here to do.
0: Absolutely, and that's why I would. I mean, I feel like I have no other choice but to to pick him as well. But. To your point as well, what I like the most about Pierce is his growth this season. We saw him week one in Houston have a brutal drop in the end zone uh, on a touchdown that should have been his first career touchdown. It was one of the easiest passes he'll get for a potential touchdown I'm sure he's still kicking himself 13 weeks later. But you start off with such a low, right, Well, you you drop a touchdown in the first game. And to be able to kind of slowly build right up to where you're right, he is right now the explosive guy in this offense I think it shows a lot about him and his maturity and his growth. that You like to see that, again, rookies continue to get better from week one to week 13, which I think he's done that for sure. One of the few players I think you could consistently say has gotten better, and I think the only issue for him is just not getting enough balls his way consistently. There's been a little low like the past three weeks for whatever reason, whether it's protection, whether it's just schemes, where they haven't been able to kind of find him. And you saw in the Dallas game, you go back to him again, makes a big play. He's been someone now you can actually start to rely on and feel good about when it comes to throwing the ball his way and good things happening. Like I said, he's the only one to make explosive plays. He has definitely been someone who I would say rookie wise is a, uh is the guy so far for the Colts. And that's an investment in the second round that Chris Ballard is uh is definitely looking back on fondly for sure. All right, So there's just some quick awards uh and trying to, again, try to butter up a little bit of a season that's been anything but uh, a success so far. So when we return on the Blue Horseshoe pod, we'll finish up with this. So big news in the AFC South, and that is on Tuesday. The Titans announced they have fired, fired their GM, John Robinson, despite the fact they are 7-5. Despite the fact they are well on their way to win their third straight AFC South title. What are the Titans trying to accomplish, and how does this impact the Colts here going forward? We'll discuss that, in the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Pod, the bi-week edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan and George Bremer here with you. So some big surprising news coming out of the AFC South, George, and that's the fact that on Tuesday, the Titans announced their GM, John Robinson, was fired, despite the fact they are, again, well on their way to winning their third trade AFC South title John Robinsons has taken over the Titans in 2016 has had a winning record every single season. Is there anything right now at least obviously we don't have Intel but is there anything that can explain what the Titans are trying to accomplish in following the jam that has nothing but success so far in Tennessee since 2016?
1: you know no I when, when I first saw it my first thought was you know is is there something coming out you know has he done something wrong that that's where my head went you know right away honestly uh, but you know I wonder I do wonder if there's any connection to the recent talk. I know there were stories out in The Athletic and somewhere else that, you know, Mike Vrabel maybe is going to be interested in the Ohio State job down the road. Maybe that opens up in the next couple of years if they can't figure out an answer for for their struggles against Michigan. Uh, You know, is is this an answer to that maybe? Is it a way to give Mike Vrabel a little bit more control in this franchise? Or is it just a reaction to the fact that A.J. Brown just pants them on national television, uh, you know, in a 35-10 to loss to the Eagles on Sunday?
0: Yeah, I think timing's everything. And like I said, when, when your former top receiver goes and tortures you big time for what 140 yards, two touchdowns, I think that's that is definitely a straw for sure. Also, this George, I think I don't think it's a good thing for the Colts whatsoever. Because, like I said, the Titans now have been that team, right? The Colts just cannot get past in terms of winning the division, been the biggest thorn in their side the last few years. But this for me is signaling, at least as we record this on Tuesday, with, with nothing, you know, reports wise, scandal wise coming out. So let's just say it's for performance only. I think this is the Titans telling you. Yeah, sure. We win the AFC South. Right now it's not as big of an accomplishment as maybe winning other divisions. We're sick of winning nine, ten games and then being, you know, kind of one and done in the playoffs because we don't have a quarterback and we don't have really a style that is conducive to winning in twenty twenty two. I think this is the Titans going on, you know, maybe the, the start of a makeover here and really trying to kind of align themselves in a way that you can win kind of like what the Chiefs have done, kind of what the Bills have done, where it is quarterback centric but it's also, you can win in multiple ways, especially in the passing game. I mean, you see the Titans, it, the fact that Colts can't beat him is maddening for two reasons. Number one, cause you know what they're going to try to do. And number two, the roster is not exactly, you know, filled with stars. Like I would, I don't know if a hot take, George, like I would still argue this. Day. I think the Colts roster is better than the the Titans.
1: I think on paper it was, I think that's why we had the picks that we had coming in, you know, the, the, the way we looked at this. And honestly, if you look at the, the, uh, statement that was put out by Amy Adams Strunk uh, earlier today or on Tuesday, you know, it's basically what you said, that they want, they have high expectations and and they want to strive for more. Uh, And I think that's what they're looking at. You know, winning the division is not enough. Now the question is, I think John Robbins has done a pretty good job. I think that there's, I think it's definitely not the most talented roster in the league. I think that I would give Mike Vrabel more credit in that partnership for, for the success than I would, john Robinson, but i think he's done a good job He's brought in guys like kevin byard he's brought in you know we'll see what happens with malik willis but you know he i think he's done a, a good job with that team the question now is you know who are you going to get And i think that's what will be interesting moving forward i don't think it helps the colts if for no other reason that they've got enough problems of their own they got to figure right. out who their head coach is going to be they may have a general manager search of their own going on um you know i i do wonder this does it make Jim Ursay more likely to keep Chris Ballard. Does he not want to give the opportunity of him going within the division as highly as he thinks of, of Ballard as general manager? I don't know. It's just something uh, there.
0: It's it's something I'm interested so like I said, if the Titans can fire their gym, there's, there's no excuse then for Jim Ursay not to pull the trigger on Chris Ballard, then just because, like you said, if the Titans are doing it and they would have all this accessories, so that means you know, kind of show you anyone can get fired. But it's like, man, if you're the Colts and you can't beat the Titans now again with a I still think a more talented roster at times, especially this season when you lose AJ Brown, is the Titans actually go for it now? Again, going forward and succeeding is two different things, right? They're going to try at least. It sounds like to kind of take their roster and take their team to the next level to be able to compete with the Bengals, with the Chiefs, with the Bills. That's going to start with the quarterback, and maybe we'll see if that means you know pursuing a guy like Aaron Rodgers if he's available, or Tom Brady if he's available to try to get him with his pal Mike Vrabel to town and kind of revamp the way they are and not you know rely on Ryan Tannehill or rely really more, I should say, Derrick Henry to get things done. But it's interesting. Like if you're Jim Mercer, you know, the old saying, George, you can't beat him. Join him. It can't be the Titans. If you're Jim Mercer, do you look at John Robinson as potential replacement for Chris Ballard?
1: It's a good question. I mean, I think he's done a good job again. I think Mike Vrabel is more to credit for that group. You know, if you, if you look at Tennessee and you're trying to figure out why they're winning, I, I give more of that to Mike Vrabel. Uh, but I think if the Colts have a GM position open, uh, I think John Robinson's name would come up, and I think it should.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, too. Like I think if I think the, what this move does for the Colts in terms of, I think it opens maybe Jim Mercer's mind, and maybe if he was, let's say, not totally dead set, but leaning towards bringing Chris Ballard back, I think this does give him a little bit of pause uh, in terms of that decision. But I'm with you. Like, I would not – if I'm Jim Mercer, I'd rather have Chris Ballard over John Robinson because, like I said, I think mm-hmm. for me, the success Tennessee's had over the last few years – it starts and ends with Mike Vrabel. Like that, this is a guy who's done more with less. This is a guy who doesn't really matter. You know who his quarterback is. The injuries they have on the offensive line. Like they won the, they had the number one seed in the NA, in the uh, AFC last year. And they missed their best player Derek Henry for half the season. So that just kind of shows you that you know Mike Vrabel, in terms of doing more with less, has been you know easily one of the top five coaches I think in the NFL. But also at the same time, the reason why we're giving him so much praise is because I think the GM has not done you know a good enough job in kind of putting pieces around him to make his job a little bit easier. And then again, when you trade away, you know one of the best young wide receivers in AJ Brown, do not want to pay him? And then all of a sudden, you quickly see, well, that was a mistake because he's lighting up in Philly. And right now, even though Traylon Burks has showed some signs, there's no real wide receiver right now in a Super Bowl or bus window with Derrick Henry that you can rely on he does kind of go show you and raise questions about, you know, John Robinson's team building uh, potential. And that's why, again, if you're Jimmer saying, I don't think I would pursue John Robinson and kind of have him be the guy. If you were to fire Chris Ballard, have him be the guy to replace Chris Ballard.
1: Like I said, to me, I'd be more concerned if you fire Chris Ballard about Chris Ballard going to Tennessee and him teaming up with Mike Vrabel and giving him a better roster and, and maybe making that leap. Uh, I I think it'll be interesting to see if it affects Ursay's decision-making in that way in, in, in any manner. I also don't think it's any coincidence. Vrabel was very vocal during the offseason. that He did not want A.J. Brown gone. I think at some point he even made the statement he won't be traded as long as I'm head coach here. It was about a week later that that deal <laughs> got made. So, again, with the timing of this and Brown just doing that, I don't think that's coincidental.
0: And if you're the Colts, I think it also just goes to highlight, like, look, like, shit, like, you no, know, you cannot leave any stone unturned, right? Like, this is an off season that's going to be. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's high probably Talk, we talked about this uh, a few different times. Georgia comes to this offseason season for the Colts. How important it is like this off season? will kind of project and you know direct, I should say, the trajectory of the Colts the next like five years. Like, if you are able to get the head coach right, if you don't have to even get the quarterback right per se in terms of if you're able at least to just get a plan in place, I think, you know, that could kind of help you going forward in for the next five years. But if you swing and miss on head coach, if you take quarterback, just take a quarterback and say, ah, screw it, let's see what happens. And that swing, you know, fails. You know, we're talking about a team that again, you're going to, it, it could get a lot worse for the Colts before it gets better, depending on how this offseason goes. It's a big one here for the Colts in terms of direction. But again, that just shows, I think, it also the, the firing of Robinson highlights look like, nothing is off limits for this team like they are not in a position where you preserve the benefit of the doubt in really any area player wise coach wise gm wise
1: no absolutely not and i think that's what's going to make it an interesting offseason i and mean, i've been talking about it for a while and you've been agreeing i i don't know that the colts are as well set up this offseason as people think or as some people think you know, i'm not as excited about what might happen uh, once the season ends as maybe a lot of other folks are right now even with the mo- the, the pick moving into the top 10 you know, you, you've got to find that guy. you got to find that difference maker, however that happens, whether that's a, a J.J. Watt type, whether it's a Stephon Gilmore type, whether it's a, you know, a quarterback who's going to come in and, and play really well, or whether it's a left tackle who's going to hold down that position for the next two decades. It doesn't matter really position wise. You've got to go in there and find a stud. you got to come out of there with, with a blue chip guy and this team isn't just one guy away. So I'm not all that excited because I don't think they're going to end up with that quarterback who changes everything this offseason. And aside from that, I think it there's there's too much other stuff that needs to happen to get them to a level uh where they can start thinking the way the Titans are about trying to join that elite with the the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals right now, you're just trying to to get to where the Titans are currently. You know, they're trying to move another level up. You're trying to get where they are. Um It'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be a really important offseason, but I think it's one of the more unpredictable ones because it's been one of the more unpredictable seasons. Whoever would have thought we'd had the three week stretch we had beginning with the elevation of Sam Ellinger to the starting quarterback and everything that happened uh, after that. And when you look at that, it makes me really pause before I make any kind of predictions about what's going to happen once the, the football is done being played for this year. You're
0: right, and it goes to highlight the unfortunate reality, which is the Colts are not as close as we truly thought they were. You know, we we didn't think they were cont- you know super contenders by any stretch of the imagination this year going into the season. We both thought that If you're like, if you're not at that elite level, like where the Bills and Chiefs are, okay, we thought they were in you know tier two at least, and kind of you know getting on their way to slowly get in there. And this season served as a reminder they are not. Because like, the, if the Titans are on tier two, you see the gap between right now the Colts and where the Titans are, it's massive. And you see the gap between where the Titans are and some of the elite teams like Colts have three or four levels to go and that's not going to change in one off season. And that's why again, like I don't mind like Chris Ballard has been patient throughout for the most tenure uh, or most time of his tenure. I don't mind patience. Like I can be patient. I know fans want a quick turn on. They want to win 11 games next year. So, I mean, everyone does, right? You want to win the Super Bowl each and every year. Don't get me wrong, but also I want to build a sustainable winner. And like I said, that starts with even maybe not taking a quarterback in the first round, but getting, that standout corner piece, you know, kind of guy, cornerstone kind of guy, wherever it may be on the defensive end, at the offensive line, at receiver, like just slowly building and checking off one less problem. Cause like you said, there's a lot of holes in this team. It's not just their one player, they're not a quarterback away from any stretch of the imagination from being contenders. So if you're able no. to at least go through positions and say two or three are off the checklist for next offseason, I'll say that's a win.
1: If you look at the way the Bills and the Chiefs built their, their teams that's what they did. And I think that's the mold that the that the coach should follow. Make it the best situation for any quarterback that comes in here. Make it the best it can be. Get that offensive line where it needs to be. Get that defense up and running. Buffalo, in particular, did a really good job of that. And then when they got the shot to go get Josh Allen, they did. and, and I think that's the thing. i My caveat to all of this is that if Chris Ballard or whoever the general manager is next year, has conviction about one of these quarterbacks, then absolutely go get him. We've talked before about probably having a chance to go to two or three with Seattle and Chicago possibly slotting into those spots. Those are two teams you might be able to deal with. If you do have conviction about a quarterback, you've got to go get him. Uh, but if you don't, stick where you are, take the best player available, and add a pro bowl, perennial pro bowl player to this team. Right.
0: Like I said, I'm hard with you. Because if you're not in love with them, that's only going to lead to failure and it flaming out. And then again, that's a one less uh, opportunity. You have to cross off a wish list. that like I said it is more than one or two positions deep, one more than one or two players deep. So it's all about just kind of consistently getting better, whether that's this year, or the quarterback, whether it's in the first round, next year's first round, maybe the second or third round this year, however it is, you got a long way to go. Like so there's some building blocks for sure. There's a building this team. I think the Titans are kind of a good example of that. Like uh, if you're trying to catch them, they are not there yet. And the Titans, uh, in terms of being uh, at the top, or also, again, there, there's a big gap there. So there's a lot of room here, a lot of work for the Colts' offseason, which is, I mean, selfishly, George, partly good for us, because, hey, look, it gives us more content to talk about, and it definitely makes the offseason more interesting than the regular season, which is, unfortunately, uh, the reality we're living in right now.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Subscribe and, and hit your notifications. Do all those huge things that you can do right now, because it's going to be a very newsworthy offseason, and we're going to have a lot to say about it.
0: It's definitely it won't be an offseason that is for sure. Like I said, this is no no off time, no rest for the weary. That is for sure. So that'll do it for this bye week edition of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. I know we're just kind of talking about being busy, but this is the one and only pod we'll do this week. So no, you know Thursday pod, no obviously Sunday po- post game because there's no games to react to, which is one of the best things I could tell you, Colts fans. So enjoy the bye week. Enjoy again not having your Sunday ruined by the Colts. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week on the Midweek Pod right here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast.